This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Jim Callis here with Jonathan Mayo for the latest edition of the MLB Pipeline podcast. We're I guess not flying solo, Jonathan, maybe flying duo without uh, Tim McMaster, who, who's usually driving this car, but uh, I think we'll be okay and we can run this by ourselves for a week. And I think the, the, the big subject for us to talk about, and I know it's one of the most fun events that you or I cover most years, is the Arizona Fall League Fall Stars game. You were part of the broadcast last Saturday, and I assume, as always, uh, I was not there this year, but I assume, as always, Jonathan, just an unbelievable amount of talent on the field and a really enjoyable experience. Yeah, I mean, it was incredible, and I, uh, I know that we've talked a little bit uh, and written a little bit about that, like this year's uh, Fall League isn't quite as dynamic or as, as exciting as perhaps um, – last year's group overall was, but it's still really cool to see all the top talent in the league on, on one field, sort of like the futures game is, um, you know, very much a similar feel. And this game was really good. Sometimes these kind of all-star prospect games, uh, it really slows down all the pitching changes, uh, but it was a really crisp game. Uh, there was a lot of really, uh, really, really good talent. You know, the arms definitely dominated, which is why it was over in about two hours and 20 minutes, uh, much to the delight of uh, the broadcasting crew. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it was, it, was, it was a lot of fun to watch, as always. Yeah, and there's nothing like uh, that. That reminds me. I mean, this year we had a really crisply played Under Armour game, which is a different level. It's a high school all-star game, but it's nice. I mean, we we've both seen both ends of the spectrum in these these showcases. The, the crisply played game is always much more appreciated than the 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 walk and error ridden game. Well, let's let's start by talking about individual players, Jonathan, and and I guess the most obvious guy to talk about is arguably the best prospect in the league, um, and he was the MVP of the Fall Stars game, Victor Robles. I guess showed a little bit of everything. Didn't go deep, but he had a hit, stole a base, scored a couple runs, drew a walk. Uh, you know, it seems like he did a little bit of everything and showed off his his, his broad array of skills. Yeah, he did. He did. Um, you know, it was one of those things. He, he won honestly. I mean, he won MVP because his team won. I don't think right. he was the single best performer. I mean, he was number three on my top performer list, but. Uh, he did show why everyone is excited about the tools. And, and not only did he steal second, but it was, uh, you know, we had StatCast, uh, which is always fun to, to dig into. And he, he got up to just over 30 feet per second, um, which is, you know, that's Byron Buxton category. Now, Byron Buxton averaged 30-plus feet per second, and this was a one-time measurement, but it shows you what Robles is uh, is capable of doing. His, his base hit wasn't anything all that exciting, but he fought off a good pitch and he drove in the tying run you know, late in the game. Uh, so uh, yeah, he, he, he definitely showed off tools. Uh, so did Ronald Acuna, who is the other, you know, super toolsy outfielder uh, that we, we love talking about. And 
he actually got thrown out stealing, which was mostly because Tomas Nito's pop time was insane. Um, but he, you know, he had, he had a solid base hit. He got up to a good speed in that stolen base. And even though he didn't have a chance at throwing Corey Ray out uh, on, a, on a sacrifice fly, uh, he made an absolute ridiculous throw from sort of deep down the right field line, uh, uh, just a, a, a laser right field one hop to, to the catcher uh, in that game as well. So um, kind of like what he did in the Futures game, uh, even though he had a hit in this one, just in terms of, well, he didn't really like, he didn't hit a ball 900 feet or anything like that, but showed off all the all the different tools uh, at different points in the game. And, you know, we get this question a lot. I actually got another question this morning, Jonathan, asking when our next top 100 is going to come out, which will be January. And, you know, our current top 100 has Victor Robles at number two on the top 100. Uh, Ronald Acuna is number five. Well, where do you stand on those two guys versus each other? Obviously, I mean, that list we did in July, um, right. you know, and they're both, among, you know, there's no question they're among the elite. I, at this point, I, I think when we revise the list, I would probably put Acuna ahead of Robles. It, it's close. I think they're similarly tooled. I think Robles, to me, the difference is Robles is a little bit better of a pure hitter, and I think Acuna's got more power in there. And I guess I like the edge and power a little bit more than the advantage I would give Robles with the pure hitting ability. Yeah, I would agree with you. And from now, you know, in the fall league, I happened to see Acuna several times, and I really only saw uh, Robles once, other than the uh, other than no, once and a half, I should say. He was playing in one game and got removed early for quote unquote non medical reason, uh, which most people took to mean that he didn't run out of uh, a ball. Um, so I, I didn't get as good a look. Um, right. That said, Acuna has, you know, when a guy is that hyped, it's very hard to sort of live up to it, and he did. And and these guys are tired too. I mean, they're 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 running on fumes. I think uh, many of them at this point, guys, especially the guys who were healthy and played all year. You know, the guys who missed time uh, because of injuries are excited still to, to be out there. And uh, they're, they're all efforting, but it, you know, it, it was clear to me that some of them are starting to look at the calendar a little bit, things of that nature. But uh, I would put Acuna ahead of Robles. Uh, some of the scouts that I talked to, even some of the other players that I talked to, uh, we, we brought that up a little bit. And, and most of them put Acuna over Robles uh, as well, again, narrowly. Um, but uh, but nonetheless, uh, they would go in that order. Yes. And, you know, not the same kind of power, but I know from, from your article on our website, uh, the player who impressed you the most, I mean, look, we knew Luis Urias could hit. I mean, I, I think he's the best pure hitter in the league. Uh, I know he. I don't think he's leading the league in hitting as of right now, but he, he was for a bit. Um and I think he might be the best pure hitter in the entire minor leagues. I mean, this guy just hits everywhere he goes, controls the strike zone, but he's not a big physical guy, and power's not going to be a big part of his game. But you've got to see him turn on a 96-mile-an-hour fastball and look pretty impressive with the power. Yeah, yeah, 416 feet. It was 100-plus miles per hour off the bat. He, he told me, uh, you know, the, it wasn't the next day because they were off. It must, maybe it was Monday or Tuesday when I was still out there. Uh, that is that that is the farthest ball he's ever hit in his life. He's like, I don't know, I don't know how that happened, but um, yeah, you know what? He's not going to hit for a ton of power. 
could he run into what eight to ten a year? Maybe. I, I, it could, you know, he, he is more likely the kind of guy that will vie for batting titles, I think, uh, than than ever hit for a ton of power. But he's just fun to watch hit. I mean, he's such a good hitter that I think that occasionally he can cheat on a fastball and, and do what he did in, in in the futures game. He also made a really really good play at shortstop, which I don't think uh, is where he will play long term. You know, uh, I'm actually answering an inbox question uh, uh, about his abilities to play short um, as we speak. But, uh, you know, he's just a good all-around player who can really, really hit. Uh, so it was fun to see him sort of come up in that, on that stage and, and that moment. You know, I hope, hope people who don't know him that well now suddenly expect him to, <laughs> to have Jose Altuve-type power. But uh, uh, it, it's going to be fun to watch him. Uh, control the strike zone and and hit for a high average once he gets to the big leagues. Yeah, no, and I agree with that. I mean, it's he's not going to give you 20 homers or 20 plus in the big leagues like Altuve, but you know, I, I, I think he can just put the barrel on the ball so easily. And I guess it was kind of like a perfect storm when you have Albert Alzale throw you a 96 mile an hour fastball and you you barrel it up and and you crush it. But that's kind of neat. The national TV audience gets to gets to see him. How about on the on the pitching side? Who, who, you know, I know there were a number of pitchers who pitched well. You know, it was a low scoring uh, you know four to two game. Who, who stood out for you the most? on the mound? Uh, well, the guy who ranked the highest in that story was Tanner Scott, um, and I'll get to him in a second. You know, both starters, even though they both got touched for runs, threw well and kind of did what they do. Um, Mitch Keller was a little amped up um, in, the, in the first thing and, and struggled with his command, uh, which is a strong suit of his. Uh, he was up to 97, uh, which is a little, I think he was overthrowing a little bit, and then he settled down and had a real quick uh, second, and he only gave up one hit. And Justice Sheffield was solid, um, got thrown a little bit. He got called for two pitch clock violations, and I think that threw him off a, a little bit, but he, he sort of reestablished himself. They were kind of what you expected them to be. Um, and then after that, uh, you know, Scott, uh, who we saw in the Futures game, uh, was just – he was just filthy. Um, you know, he, he went two innings, just gave up one hit, struck out the side in the third, one more strikeout in the fourth, all four of the strikeouts were off of his slider. Um, now, uh, you know, from my recollection, only a couple of those were really, like, good sliders, but his fastball was so good, and it was, you know, 97, 98 miles per hour consistently uh, in the strike zone that just having anything that was different, if you're, if you're trying to get ready for that, you know, upper 90s fastball, uh, he had guys look very uncomfortable. Um, so he was really, really impressive. Uh, and then I'll add in um, Sandy Alcantara, uh, who is really frustrating. He's gotten knocked around a bit uh, in the fall. He's one of those guys, uh, we've seen it a lot, Jim, you know, who throw really, really hard but get hit. Um, and one of the things that I thought was interesting during the broadcast that Joe McGrain brought up uh, is that there's no deception in his delivery, right? There's no hip turn or anything. So he thinks that hitters maybe are seeing the ball coming out of his hand better uh, and it's giving them a better chance because he's the only guy that threw 100 uh, in, in, in this game. And he was actually quite effective outside of giving up a double to, to Ryan Mountcastle. Uh, he, he, he really he filled the strike zone more. His command was better. Um, Really good spin rate, according to Stackhouse, on on the fastball. Uh, so 
uh, all of that was good, two scoreless innings. Um, so I, I don't know uh, if he was just locating his power stuff better in this particular game, but that was the best that I'd seen him throw uh, in a fall league that's seen him uh, kind of mirror what like for him during the 2017 season in terms of how hittable he's been. Yeah, you know, he's got a good. He, some guys think he might have the best changeup in the league too. So I mean, you you would think he'd miss more bats on a more consistent basis. And you know, Tanner Scott's going to be a guy who's interesting to watch going forward because there are a few lefties in the minors who can throw as hard as he can. I still think it's a bullpen guy. I don't know what your feelings are on that. They, they I agree. the Royals did start in this year. But it was controlled starts. Like, he averaged less than three innings a start. And while he didn't walk a guy an inning, he still walked two guys every three innings. I think eventually this guy's going to wind up being a late-inning reliever, you know, a closer if he can harness the control more. Um, but, boy, he is certainly fun to watch. And I want to say I think he's been in the league three years in a row, right? It seems like it's yes. almost like an annual uh, uh, right of fall that we get to see Tanner Scott lighten up radar guns in Arizona every year. Yeah, there uh, there are two guys that have now been there for three years, and of course now I'm blanking on who the other pitcher was. Another pitcher, and we were joking that they if they if they had like an AFL Pitcher of the Year award, um, they'd have to fight over who the award would be named after. But I agree with you, Tanner Scott, uh, in terms of the bullpen and the managed start thing. I think it was just to let him work on his command, let him work on all of his pitches for a little bit more than just an inning at, at a time. But yeah, very. Very impressive. Uh, so my time in, in the fall is over. I'm back home now. I've had my two stints. Jim, I know you're going back, but you were there uh, already. Uh, I would imagine that you have a list of guys that impressed you during your first stint. That you're like, well, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to following up and seeing them again. So who, who stood out for you, you know, in, your, in your first journey to the desert? Yeah, you know, it, it's fun. I, I, I like, and I think you kind of feel so. I, I like splitting them up so you see some guys early and then you see some guys late. In fact, when I was out there, I don't think Victor Robles had gotten out there right. yet. He might have been. And, and, and for whatever reason, just the games I was assigned to, you know, we kind of have games. Either there's a schedule Jason Ratliff puts together for everybody. I only ran into Peoria once, and, and that was uh. my first game. And that was literally – got off the plane, drove to Salt River, and watched Peoria. So I'm actually – you know what? I take that back. I think I maybe caught them – I think I maybe caught them on my last day there too. But I only saw Acuna once. So I'm actually looking forward again to see more of their guys because you get to see Acuna, you get to see Urias, you get to see Michael Chavis. Uh, there's a lot of talent on the team, you know, and plus the pitchers as well. But you brought up, you know, Mitch Keller. You know, I, I think one of my, my favorite things I did while I was out there was actually a game I wasn't assigned to cover, but I wanted to see the pitching matchup, was watching Mitch Keller pitch against Albert Abreu of the Yankees. And, in fact, I want to say, I think you saw the same matchup too, didn't you? Because I think you wanted to write the story on it. Uh, so it was kind of nice how that worked out for you too. But, like, uh, when I saw them, they both were good. Um, they both were up to 98. Uh, Keller, you know, was, had a lot of life on the fastball, and he kept it down the zone. Curveball was 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 pretty good at times. Changeup, he wasn't throwing for strikes, and Albert Abreu actually outpitched him. Um, you know, it's kind of a shame. You know, there's there's it's like a jigsaw puzzle putting the False Stars game rosters together. But I thought Albert Abreu would have certainly fit in with the False Stars game as well. And I mean, he was up to 98, and he had a better curveball and a better changeup than Keller that day. That was a treat to watch. And I want to say, I think in the False Stars game too, Jonathan, uh, I think you saw T.J. Zoic for an inning and pitch really well, and I saw him pitch yep. very well for for five innings against that uh, against that uh, Peoria lineup. 
Um, and he looked really, really good. Um, uh, you know, what I like about him, you know, he's a big guy, you know, you know he's like six seven, but it's not like he's going to throw, you know, 95, 98, but it's a lot of 92, 94 at the knees with movement and guys just have a hard yeah, time squaring them up. Yeah. Downhill plane and angle. And it's, it's just very tough to, to do much with it. So he, he was fun to watch. Those were probably the most, um, outstanding pitchers I saw in my week there. You know, hitting-wise, I didn't get to see many of the the top guys have huge games, but, like, I, I did see a couple guys who are, you know, not top 100 types, but I think are pretty tooled-up guys that don't get a lot of attention, at least not top 100-type attention. But Daniel Johnson of the Nationals, um, I don't think he was in the Fall Stars game, but he's he's interesting. I mean, he, he can throw, he can run, he's got some power, he, he puts up numbers. I got to see him do a little bit of everything uh, one night. Nationals, and then I get. In fact, I say I, I, I want. He was not originally ticketed for the fall league, but when Victor Robles was put on the playoff roster for the Nationals, they needed a replacement, and it turned out to be Daniel Johnson. And then the next night, I saw Stephen Duggar of the Giants, who again has a pretty good all-around array of tools, and it might be the best all-around tools guy. Uh, in the Giants system, or at least right up there with Helio Ramos, and uh, I got—I I saw him. I, I think I want to say it was a four-hit night, if I—if I remember correctly, and he ran well on the bases. And uh, he's an interesting guy too. He had some injuries this year, but he's a guy who might be able to help the Giants in the near future. They were—they were two of the more impressive hitters I saw. Yeah, Duggar is. One, he's one of those guys that kind of, to me, fits the mold of that that Giants draft pick that you, you know, you, you, you maybe. Uh, I, I won't even say that you know we were you know too low on, but we we underestimated or the Giants you know thought of a little bit more, you know, more highly, and and ends up being a really good major league player. Uh, you know, not just college guys, but uh, you know they they they've done that with the Joe Panics and Brandon Crawfords of the world, things like that. So uh, he, he's yeah, I think he's a really interesting uh, fits the profile, the top of the order kind of guy really knows what he's doing at the plate. So you know, I'm excited to see, uh, you know, what he does in 2018, uh, assuming he can stay healthy. Yeah, you know, with him, what he is is, and, you know, Matt Duffy was another guy like that for the Giants, you know, not his high-profile pick. But, you know, Duggar was a guy who, who, when he was at Clemson, the scouts liked the tools, but he just never really tore it up. He was just kind of okay, and you, you kind of left scratching your head, like, you know, look, this guy can really run. Why doesn't he steal more bases? You know, he didn't really play center. Uh, you know, he has some hitting ability. He shows raw power in batting practice, but he, he, he's done more damage with wood bats uh, first in the Cape Cod League and then in pro ball than he ever did. I, I think the Giants, you know, you know they, I don't know, you know, it doesn't seem like their farm system ever gets a ton of acclaim, but they, they just excel. I think it's because they have so many guys who've been there and worked together for a long time. And I think their scouts and their player development people work so well that the scouts find guys, you know, Brandon Belt's another example of a guy who didn't put up big numbers yeah. in college. And they say, look, we really like this guy. And here's an adjustment he needs to make. You know, if he does this, then he can be, you know, we think he might be something. And then the player development staff takes those guys and helps them make the adjustment. I mean, we do it with pitchers, too. I, I just, it's, it, it, it seems like every draft you can look at a Giants draft and somewhere after the fifth round find a guy who winds up being a, a much better player than people thought he was going to be coming out of the draft. So I, I'm looking forward to getting back there. And, and uh, you know, I have not... Uh, 
I've not taken the time to try to plot out what the pitching matchups are, but I know I've got, you know, Saturday, I'll be, you know, we're in the middle of three straight Saturdays where MLB Network will be broadcasting a game. I'll be part of the military appreciation game Saturday night, which is Peoria at Surprise. I believe that's a 8 p.m. Eastern broadcast. Right. And, and like I said, I mean, when we're talking about Peoria, I mean, I get to see Acuna. You know, I don't know who will be in the lineup exactly, but potentially I could see, you know, Ronald Acuna again. I could see Luis Urias. I could see Michael Chavis. You know, they've got some pretty good pitchers. I did not run into Max Fried, who's had a good fall. Wouldn't mind seeing him. So uh, that should be a treat. I mean, not only. Uh, you know, it's fun to see uh, you know Arizona Fall League games. You know, now that you know we're all going cold turkey now that the World Series is over, but you're going to see some of the best prospects in baseball in that game on Saturday. So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, that that uh, it, it's really good with Tap in there because uh, you know you do the Fall Stars game, and then if you were to go to that game, maybe it was good that you weren't at the Fall Stars game. Obviously, you go to individual teams, it's not going to be quite as packed, but. That lineup is is fairly ridiculous. So if you don't have Chavis playing third, then you might have Austin Riley playing third. Right. And you know that there's, it's always fun to see you know to see how the power plays, and it's played pretty well for him this fall. He's had he's had a decent fall as well. With the, the, that's the best offense in the league, and uh, so it's fun just to uh, to see it. Well, you know what's nice is I'm sitting here looking at my schedule, Jonathan, and I'm scheduled. Not only do I get to broadcast the Peoria game on Saturday. But next week, my Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday game coverage is all Peoria games. So that's uh, that's very nice. I, I will get a, I will get a, a heavy dose of the best prospect roster in the league. And I want to say the last time I checked, I believe they have the best record in the league as well. So there's a a very good chance that on November 18th, when we have the 3 p.m. championship game broadcast, that I will be looking at the Peoria Javelinas once again, which. Uh, cannot get enough of them. Like I said, I, I didn't get to see them that much my first time through, but it looks like I will make up for that my second time through. So, so very excited about that. Yeah, no, ex- excellent stuff. And, uh, yeah, I think it's uh, right now it's Peoria and Mesa have the two, two best records. And, uh, you know, the, it's the top team from each division uh, that, that goes on to that, that championship game. So, uh, and they, they even built in a, an off day uh on Wednesday this week to, to make sure that uh, there was enough pitching because sometimes by the end guys have been shut down uh, and there weren't, you know, quality arms uh, remaining for, for a championship game. So uh, it should line up for a really fun, you know, last week of the season and championship game for you. And that was really the case last year because we had both races went down to the wire and originally it looked like we might get Michael Kopech in the championship game, but they had to use him to get to the playoffs, to get to the finals. It looked like Brent Honeywell might be a possibility, but he got, they, you know, he reached his innings limit and they shut him down. Uh, we were hoping maybe for Josh Stomont, who was as hard a thrower in the league, um, but they, he'd reached his innings limit. And, and I do like that, that game, because you mentioned earlier, and I think it's one reason, you know, sometimes fans will ask, you know, you know, hey, so-and-so hit, did this in the fall league or did that. You know, why aren't you putting more weight on that? And, and, and these guys are exhausted. Um, you know, it's like you, you think about major leaguers being exhausted when they play through the World Series. You know, a lot of these guys got maybe a week or two off, and then they go to instructional league to tune up, and then they're in the fall league for an extra six weeks. So these guys, you know, most I'd say almost everybody in the fall league probably has not played as many games this year. You know, play, played many games in the past as they've played this year. So I think having that extra off day will hopefully make for even a, a little bit, you know, more rested pitching staff for that championship game. And, uh, you know, we'll see. You know, I mean, the, the thing I remember from the championship game last year, 
uh, was Ian Happ, you know, switch hit homers from both sides of the plate, and, and then he hit 25 homers in the big leagues this year. So that's, you know, okay. I, I hope people watched you on the Fall Stars game, and hopefully they'll watch the, the military game on Saturday and the championship game in a week. Because, you know, we beat this subject into the ground, but it's true. You know, Bellinger was the most obvious guy this year. But, I mean, there are guys you will see on TV this year in the Fall League who will be playing, not just playing in the big leagues, but playing major roles in the big leagues next year. You know, it happens, you know, every year. And, you know, I mean, we'll probably, you know, you're talking about your your Fall Stars guys. I mean, we'll probably I mean, Victor Robles has already been up, but he'll probably play a major role in Washington next year. And we'll, we'll probably see Ronald Acuna at some point the Braves won't be able to keep him in the minors for any longer. I know he's only 19, but, I mean, you can't keep that guy down. No, I, he, he's ready, I think. Uh, but they'll start him at AAA, I would imagine, and let him, you know, let him hit the ground running, maybe wait till they pass Super 2 status if they really want to. Um, but, yeah, he, he's, he's the guy I'm most excited to see hit the big leagues for the first time uh, next year. Yeah, no, he, he, was, he was very, very impressive. Well, Switching gears to to uh, just an incredibly sad note, uh, you know, we're recording this on a Thursday, and and the day before we record this, I mean, just shocking news uh, that that really came out of nowhere. You know, Red Sox minor league catcher Daniel Flores died, just 17 years old of complications uh, from his treatment for cancer, and, and you know, I don't think anybody really knew he was sick, and and the news just was shocking when it came out. Yesterday afternoon, and, and Jonathan, you know, I do our Red Sox coverage, um, and I, you know, yeah, I, I get sometimes good-natured ribbing from various teams for you know willing to be able to go all in on a, on a guy fresh out of the draft or or internationally, you know, if the guy's a top prospect. And I remember asking the Red Sox, like, look, when we're doing our midseason list. I, I think Flores was number five on my list. Um, I can't remember if that was his original position or he moved up a slot or two. His guys got, you know, graduated to the big leagues in, in the second part of the season. But, I mean, Jonathan, this guy was a, a, a potential, you know, unbelievable talent. I mean, probably the best international catcher since Gary Sanchez. You know, maybe the, the best amateur defensive catcher since Austin Hedges. Uh, you know, signed for $3.1 million. Uh, you know, looked like a future gold glover. And he was also a switch hitter with a, a chance to hit for average and power. So, uh, just a, 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 a tragedy. Uh, I, I just, you know, I was kind of at a loss when I heard the news. I mean, you, you don't expect to hear, uh, you know, a 17-year-old who, who, you know, who just signed, you know, in the July 2 period, you know, dies four months later. Right. I mean, you know, you and I have been both been doing this long enough to have, you know, uh, experienced the tragedy that comes along, you know, in all walks of life uh, with uh, people you know, leaving, leaving, leaving us uh, far too soon. You know, I think the fact that it was a teenager, cancer that, you know, this wasn't someone who had leukemia and recovered and came back. It it kind of seemingly came out of, out of nowhere. uh, I think makes it even tougher to to comprehend everything I've read about uh, him, you know, in, in in the wake of all this uh, speaks to, an incredible young man, a hard worker, and not to mention the the, the on the field talent that obviously made him such a, a highly sought after international prospect. Yeah, and I think like you, you you put it in the in the in the same landscape as the as the death of Roy Halladay for obviously much different causes. Uh, and baseball has been uh, a place of tragedy where you, typically this time of year, you're still kind of basking in the glow of, of, of what was a, re- a wonderful World Series. And, and I hope people can still do that. Uh, 
but it, it, you know, it does provide some, some perspective. Uh, I think, you know, that these, these guys as as much as they're put on pedestals and as much as uh, they're looked up to and as incredible, the things they can do as athletes on the field, they're, they're human be- beings and uh, can be touched by the same tragedies that uh, everyone has to deal with uh, in everyday life. Yeah. I mean, I mean, obviously, the, the the greatest tragedy is the untimely death. I mean, 17 is way too young. And just from a baseball standpoint, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll never – I mean, he hadn't even really started his career yet. I don't think he played in a pro right. game as a July 2 signing. But, I mean, this was a guy – just the way people talked about him. And, look, we both know not every prospect reaches his ceiling. But just the way people talked about him, I mean, this guy had a chance to be a special player, an all-star catcher. And it, it's – I guess the two guys it made me think of – when I was thinking of, of, of young players who didn't get a chance to, to maybe realize their greatness, uh, you know, Oscar Tavares a few years ago, um, I mean, you and I both thought he was among the, the very best prospects in baseball and, you know, future batting champion and, and just looked like he'd be a superstar. And, you know, he got killed in an automobile accident, which is very sad. And, and when I think of the Red Sox, this guy didn't die, but he, he's already been largely forgotten. But, you know, Ryan Westmoreland, who was a, a $2 million fifth-round pick in 2008, who, who played one-year pro ball and was the best player in the New York Penn League, and, and you think about all these great outfielders the Red Sox have right now, you know, from a tool standpoint and from the brief performance we saw with Ryan Westmoreland, he might have been better than, than Mookie Betts or Jackie Bradley Jr. or Andrew Benintendi. I mean, this guy could do everything. And then... He wound up having headaches the spring train the following year, and they, they found a, a malformation with, a, I guess, a, a abnormal cluster of blood vessels in his brain the next year, and he went through a couple surgeries, and his career was over. Um, so just, it's, you know, obviously the, the loss of life is, is the greatest tragedy here, but, you know, he was a guy, you know, you and I don't do nearly as much stuff internationally as Jesse Sanchez does, so we don't, you know, we, we spent our spring really bearing down the draft, but, I mean, he was really one of those guys that, I was looking forward to seeing in spring training next year, and and not only does that not happen, just a just a horrible horrible story to see him losing his life at such a young age. Yeah, the, you know, family that was probably looking to him, uh, you know, not just in pride, but you know, it probably is a hope to 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 help them better their own lives, and I mean that's secondary. Uh, so I, I I feel for. For his family, I feel for the Red Sox organization, you know, the scouts uh, that put so much time into getting to, to know these players and build relationships. Player development staff, as you said, you know, they just barely started working with him, but he clearly had made uh, uh, an impact uh, in, in a very short amount of time. Yeah, so it's uh, you know our condolences to his family and the Red Sox. Just just terrible, terrible news. Hopefully, uh, Jonathan, uh, we will have we'll have only you know positive uh, positive things to talk about when we podcast again next week. I I assume we will have our partner in crime, Tim McMaster, who who should have recovered from his his postseason travels by that point, and uh, I'll be in the midst of the year. I, I, I will suspect. We will talk more about the Arizona Fall League again next week as we get ramped up for the the championship game in about 10 days from now. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. 
I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.